Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup will be heading to our shores for the first time to showcase the best women's hoops in our region. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. And live from the FIBA Women's Asia Cup 2023 in Sydney, it's... Shooting the breeze! (laughs) We're doing another live show and I'm here with my co-host Jacinta Gavin and our New Zealand correspondent Lyndon Moore. Guys, great to be here, great to have you here. Um, There's been a lot going on, even though it's just been a few days. Yeah, Yeah. you guys might need to catch me up because I've only really just got here in the last 24 (laughs) hours. It's been mad, hasn't it? I mean, there's been some... What some upsets, really close games, which I know we're going to touch on a little bit. Um, maybe a couple surprises here and there, a lot of good fans. I mean, it's just been a wholesome time. It has. And I think some of the bits, there were some really interesting games at the beginning of the, of, of the Asia Cup. Yeah. Um, and the fans were really getting into it too. So yeah. from your perspective, I mean, how did you see those first, those first couple of days and those, those really those interesting games where the fans were really getting into it. For, for some of the, the nations that, you know, we know aren't going to be there at the end, but they had a lot of support. That was probably one of my favourite things about this tournament. It's my first FIBA tournament, so I think just walking in and seeing, I mean, everyone from Lebanon, you know, they're, all, they're doing their country's chant. They've got their flags. I mean, they show out China. Is You know, I think we'll expect to see them at the end, but with the masses and, you know, they're just coming in crowds. New Zealand's had great support. Um, you know, Chinese Taipei, they've had schools come in. Australia, obviously. It's just been really cool. And, like, the thing is, I don't think results to – I mean, obviously results matter, um, especially with the fan. I mean, but to the fans, I think it's just about, like, seeing their country and having that pride. And it's just been so cool to see. And, like, everybody is just embracing it, I think. And it's just a great opportunity to learn about new cultures. And everyone's been super nice and – you know, the Philippines have also been really fun to watch. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool. I didn't, I walked in on Monday. I was like, I really don't know what to expect, but wow. Like it was <laughs> honestly, like, that's, I think seeing the fans and seeing the traditions and people learning about others, I think that's probably been like my favorite part. And, um, I think probably one of the, one of the nations that, that surprised, that surprised me being here and like they're doing the whole never say die thing is Lebanon. Oh, they, absolutely. They're not what you'd call a, um, a, like what's known as a strong basketball nation. No, I think, oh, I don't think on paper right away that you would automatically identify Lebanon as somebody who would, um, you know, possibly make top four. I mean, there's nothing, nothing against them. I still think against the other teams, that's probably what we've expected, but it yeah they really came out. I think I was watching was 
it Korea? I don't know. Whichever one of their earlier group games that I saw, they were refusing to give up. Like, they would come back. They were hustling. They would make, you know, and then they would drain those threes. And for a while, it was a really tight game. And the fans were, and I think, the you know, the fans really got behind them. And I think that helped. But the thing is, like, you could see the coaching staff has faith. The girls had faith in themselves and their teammates. Um, you know, it was, like, they definitely provided some good, performances and cool shows to watch. Okay. Now, I think one of the things we've got to talk about is that first Opals game, right, where it was more like a cricket score than a basketball score. <laughs> so how did you guys see that game, Jacinda? Uh, I thought it was a great way for the Opals to make a statement early in the competition because – this Opals roster at this Asia Cup is quite different to the Opals roster at the last Asia Cup in 2021. And as always with these things, preparation time is, is limited. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably really good for the Opals to have the Philippines first and perhaps someone not as strong as Korea or I should say Japan first, mm. uh, just so they can dust off a couple of cobwebs and transfer everything they're doing in training into a game situation because as much as you scrimmage on court in training, it's so much different to when it's game time. Um, But the thing that actually stood out to me because I watched the game at home, I wasn't here at the tournament just yet, was actually um, a little bit of what Lyndon touched on earlier about the fan engagement here. All I can hear in the background was the Filipino crowd. Mm. Every Mm -hmm. time the Filipino team... Uh, scored or did something good, all I could hear was a Filipino crowd in the background. I think that was actually probably the highlight, like a good reminder that Sydney is a big cultural melting pot. We have a large Filipino, Japanese, Chinese, uh, even Lebanese population in Sydney. So it must be a fantastic opportunity for all of those different cultures living locally to come and support their home countries. And actually, interestingly, to your point, like to have a – it was really cool to see – the location for the Asia Cup be in Sydney because, you know, what you just said, Jacinta, that Sydney's a melting pot and there are so mm. many cultures. And I think to see everybody come out, um, was like, uh, even just being in the stadium, I was uh, lucky enough to chat with some folks during the first couple of games and you can't hear them because the Filipino fans in particular, but the same with Chinese Taipei is pretty much the same as with all of them. You can't hear anything because they're so loud. Um, but the fact that they have a, you know, a metropolitan area where they come out actually do you know do this is fantastic and what's really interesting is we all know that basketball is very popular in asia but i think comparatively to the other asian teams that are here um something about basketball with the filipino uh with the country of the philippines and the people of the philippines there's not there's a very strong connection between basketball and the philippines and i think that's really really interesting um i think it goes past just you know, have you know, enjoying basketball as the sport and having lots of fan and get, uh, turn up and things like that. It's almost like a a life and death kind of thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the you can see that the the Filipino nation gets behind their basketball and behind their basketball teams. There's a real love of the sport, um, and we ov- obviously you know we see that with some of the some of our friends for the, of the pod and. They are just absolutely fully into into the game. It doesn't matter, men's, women's, they're just there for the game. Yeah, and even yeah. parts of the game, like the cultural parts of the game, mm. uh, the street culture, you know, 
Uh, one of our friends, Ryan, who, oh, no, he won't be able to come to the pickup game tomorrow because he's actually in Japan right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's also into the sneaker culture. You yep. know, we've got our friend Lorenzo who's yeah. into the um, jerseys, like the jerseys, jerseys yeah. and the magazine culture. Yep. Um, it's just really fascinating. But um, that's, that was my highlight of that Opals Filipino game. About the Opals, though, in that game, some very interesting combinations. Yep. Um, I think comparatively to the Opal squad in 2021, there's probably there, – there, I don't know how to say this in a nice way. There, there probably needs to be more attention to managing personality types mm. than yeah. there was with the other squad. The other squad in 2021 was very young, emerging talent. Jade Melbourne went from the under-19s World Cup straight into this Asia Cup, her first time as an Opal at the senior level because Maddie Rochi had to pull out due to injury. Yep. We had Jazz Shelley come from um, like from college. Yep. Tiana Mangakahia was returning from her um, journey. Christy Wallace was only just returning. So there was a lot of uh, – a bit of an underdog mentality, I think. And I think this time we're coming in a little bit more as top dog. And I, th- I wonder if that's going to be uh, – not to the detriment, but I think that that probably needs to be taken care of a little bit. Because on paper, at least from what I've seen with the Australian team, it's a mix – I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about this. It's like Everybody, I think, individually has really good performances and they're all superstars in their own right. And have they have good experiences, but I think coming together it was going to be an interesting. And I was interested to see at least time just with the background that they all had. And it was Shannon coming in as a acting head coach. Is how is that going to gel? And it seemed yeah. like the first the first game, you know, shaped off the cobwebs a little bit. And I agreed just into the like it was good that it's probably that they didn't have Japan first mm-hmm. <laughs> and try and have to you know figure it out on the fly against a really quick team. Um, but, I mean, they had a good first showing. But I think, again, like like you said, top-dog mentality for the Opals. And also there's some something to playing at home. Mm. Um, and also where they got the Rose Gold at the World Cup last year. So yeah. I think they're – no reason they shouldn't feel confident. But it's uh, the desolate of room for some stuff along the way, I mm. guess, so to speak. It was like a really different style of play from the Opals in that first game as well. Very dynamic. Um, they were quick at both ends of the court. And they reacted really well. It, and it was because, you know, Sandy Rondello typically is D first, whereas there was a lot more, um, lot more on the offensive side. And it was really it was interesting to watch how the, how the Opals were, were able to connect on that, particularly given the number of frontline Opals that are over in the WNBA at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially. But, I mean, in the meantime, we've got some great people back from Europe. So we've got uh, Kunick, we've got Darcy, yep. who's now, you know, Darcy was part of that 2021 team. Yep. But yep. now in that two years, I mean, she's just flourished and she's been at a World Cup in, in the meantime. Um, but I think typically, you know, like what you said, what you hinted at before, Lyndon, was all of the these roster, they're all the stars in their own teams yep. mm. um, and they have to learn to adapt to they can't all be the star in this particular team. They're going to have to make some sacrifices. It's funny that one yeah. person I think that they can just facilitate to and know it's going to go in and I think they're still kind of hunting for that go-to. Yeah, like last time they had Sammy Whitcomb and a whole bunch of youngsters, so she was the, the beacon um, and was able to really rally the troops very well under Gori. Mm. And this time I think we've got a, a bunch of leaders 
but we are like lucky that Tess is playing. So yeah. Tess yeah. can be the, the certified captain and leader carrying yeah. on from the World Cup and be a bit more of an anchor. Yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> I also think that if you look at the way that some of the players are coming in off the bench, they've been they've been really good, but you can see the, the ones coming off the bench haven't quite 100% gelled in yet. And I think that may have to do with the fact that it's a different system. There's obviously a lot of Shannon system in that. And on top of that, um, they probably haven't had enough practice time just to be able to get used to each other's game. I was going to say the preparation time, I think, is crucial for any team. Um, I, say, I think New Zealand kind of had a similar situation. I think a lot of teams do where not everybody, you know, they're all coming from different places and, you know, you may get a couple trainings in. Um, but, but for anything, I guess with any major tournament like this, when you're trying to get pieces from all over to have that time, especially for the bench, I mean, I think you're starting five. Like, you've got to make sure that they they got to adapt a little bit quicker, I think, in my opinion, to make sure that they gel. But if you're on the bench, you just kind of have to run with it, you know, so to speak, and adapt as you go. And so it get, you know, it does get a little bit more difficult. Um, but, you know, they're, they're certainly on their way. And a lot of the, a couple of the roster haven't even played in the Basketball Australia system. Yeah. For a long time. Like Chantal yeah. Horvat, she was a COE athlete. Yep. She was in Europe, and wasn't she, she? And she went to UCLA and then she went to Europe. So she hasn't played in Australia under an Australian type game or system for a very long time until she's played NBL 1 for Geelong yep. this season. I reckon, But she's my new favourite player. Speaking <laughs> of people coming off the bench, yeah. she is very good coming off the bench, doing the little things right in there for offensive rebounds, in the right spots for the guards for receipt. She's been really impressive. She has. Yeah. She has. And just getting back to that point about the clutch players, it was it was really interesting to see that um, over the – I think it was overnight, the the uh, Asia, Asia Cup uh, Twitter feed had a, had a thing up about who would be the clutch player you'd want to get the ball to. And last time I saw it, it was Darcy Garvin who was who was at the, at the top of that list. But it's it's an interesting it's interesting that even even Fever's called that one out. Yeah, definitely. I see. I I, I understand why Darcy would be in the top for that list, <laughs> and I think it's not evident of whatever game you watch. Even on the uh, the game against Japan, she was she was performing well. But yeah, I think Chantel is definitely making her mark um, on the system, and I'd say she's done remarkably well for somebody who's just come back into, you know, the Opal's program in the Australian system. But I think you still, like, the years in Europe and UCLA, the higher-level experience is paying off for sure. Yeah, and the European, you know, Kunick, Darcy in particular, I think Darcy's um, strongest attribute as a player is her composure. Yep. Yeah. Um, because having someone like that can be infectious, especially when you're coming up against it, Japan with that tenacious defense. That defense was some of the best team defense I've seen in so long. But you need someone like Darcy to have that composure so everyone else can can kind of match that. Yeah. Um, but it's just really interesting how much she's developed in the two years since the last Asia Cup in that way. Um, and interesting, like, uh, you know, Alice Kunick has adapted so well to the European style of play. She has. And a couple of times in those early games you could see how much her game has changed um, and how much she was able to adapt some of those new skills into this game. But I think there's probably a little bit more adjusting um, for her as well to to get used to everything as well, but luckily she's with Shannon, who's going to be her new WNBL coach. So I'm sure she'll be fine. Yeah, and I mean we spoke with with 
Alice just a few weeks ago on the pod. And one of the things that, that really came across to me was um, the change in her maturity from when she was playing at the Flames to now. Um, it's the, the whole European experience has obviously really helped her develop and develop that maturity, and you can see it on the court. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got to talk about that Japan game. And, you, and right, one of the things I've got to say is I think um, <clears throat> that, that maturity that Alice has developed was evident on the court um, against Japan. Yeah, I say Alice was somebody that stood out to me in that game in the midst of all the other, I guess, chaos, so to speak, that was going on in that game. Alice was a big contributor, and she really made herself known and was a key force in trying to at least make a comeback. Yeah, if I remember right, I think she was the leading scorer for Australia as well. Oh, just second to Rochi. Rochi had 12 and Alice had 11, but still she shot... um, Alice shot 100% from the three-point line and 43% overall. So, yeah, definitely level-headed under that, – that stat kind of shows, you know, offensively a little bit more level-headed compared against that defense. And yeah. how you said, Lyndon, chaos. That's exactly <laughs> what Japan created in that game was I chaos. I yeah. literally I just sat there. And I say that was actually my first Opals game that I've seen live in full. Um, and it was – a game to see. I couldn't even really wrap my head around what was going on half the time just because watching Japan shoot the ball. I mean, I, I don't recall the exact shooting percentage, but their shooting percentage was out, out of this world. That was outrageous. And it was outrageous. Their, def- their defense was outrageous. Their shooting form was outrageous. Everything about it was unreal. And Australia just, is, you know, as much as it was, you know, they tried, but they just couldn't find a way, unfortunately. And it was a really cool game to watch. The Japan shooting percentage overall in that game was 54% oh from the three point, which is already out. outstanding, especially in a competitive fever yeah. level game. But from the three point line, it was 52%. Now, how many teams in a competitive fever world class game can go out and say, yeah, we shot 52% from the three point line? That's just. There were 17, 17 from 33. Like, I'm still struggling Ooh. to process that number. It's, it's I just going to take me a long time to actually wrap my head around that. And to be fair, Opals was 42% from the three-point line, which is still really it's, good. It it's still good. good. Yeah. yeah. But 50, 52% from the three-point line. That's like the coaches say, coaches cliche, you live and die by the three-pointer. And yeah. they That's, were immortal. And things like Japan is so fun to watch. And when they organize and they get going, like, I think, that the Australia-Japan game was a great example that it's just really fun to watch. It's beautiful yeah. basketball. It's kind of seamless almost. And almost every time that when the ball left their hands, it's like, oh, it's going in. And you could kind of just tell from their look, yeah, it's going, oh, no, okay, maybe they missed that one. They're going to make the next one. And the next three proceed to go. And you're like, oh, well, crap. And look, and I know I talk about, I talk about this one often, but I still don't get how they managed to do it with the shooting action that they have on the three-pointers and the free-throws. It's just like there's the two hands. It looks very netball-y. And <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It just works. Yeah, I would love a 
a, a one-on-one session with someone from the Japanese coaching staff or a, I reckon just they to understand make a master class on it. Yeah, 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 just to understand the mechanics a little bit better because in my mind shooting with two hands means more room for error. Yeah. Yeah, when yeah, but you normally have the one and you kind of like, yeah. Mm. Cuz you usually have the one to control and the other one to guide. Yeah. Yep. Um and then you release at a high point to also minimize that error. They do, to be fair, in their shooting technique, they do release at a really high point. So that's probably minimizing error. But the two hands, like I have to, I'd love to get a little bit more understanding around. I would pay the to get a, last, a master class yeah. from yeah. the Japanese national okay. team. So to anybody who's listening from the broadcast team, right, get some real ultra slow-mo close-ups of that because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to watch it. Oh, that's yeah, it's a <laughs> great teaching tool. Oh, absolutely. If you leverage it, right? So... Um, the uh, on the other side, I don't, I don't know what happened because like the first quarter Australia was doing great. Halfway through the second quarter, things were were looking good. It was a little bit tougher, and then it was like Japan put their foot on the gas and the margin that was just it. expanded as the game went on. Because yeah. I thought they were, they had a good chance. Like in the first, it was like oh, a couple points. They'll come back. They'll come back. They'll come back. Oh, and then it just went down <laughs> it was that second and third quarter second yeah. quarter uh was 11 to 29 yeah to japan and the third quarter was 19 to 26 so but the thing i also noticed is that the shooting percentage continued to improve as the game went on and that's yeah. also something that very rarely happens because with fatigue mm. and adjustments oh yeah the accuracy goes down yeah exactly um, so I was like, how <laughs> they were still making three after. I think there were like at least three or four three pointers in a row in that third quarter, yeah. all under pressure, but all after you know fatigue and adjustments. It was just outstanding. I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. Long time, yeah. It was just, it really was, um, just just one of those games where every time you'd look at the action that was happening, you kind of go, wow, how did that happen? And the other thing that I, I noticed um, was the Japanese bench were really getting into it. Oh, they were I energetic mean, the whole game. Yeah. Like, and every time someone like came on, subbed off, whatever it was, same energy every single time. Just electric. I think that was their ace up their sleeve is having that energy yeah. consistently. Like yeah. even if from the first three pointer to the seventeenth three pointer made, it was the same level of high level of celebration. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that they they I, were really mentally ready for that game. Yeah, they were as locked in as I've seen any team. Mm. Okay, now, um, just because we can, what what do we think Australia needs to do? Because. And I'm not sure if if everybody's really across all of this. We found out yesterday, um, top four qualify for Olympics. Yeah. So right now, Australia has a potential to not qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. Today's game, if it's the case for those who don't go to the top four, so the semis tomorrow, the next round of qualification, they're out of contention for that. Means they can't go to Paris. So there's like today's game is do or die. Yeah. So, except if you're China what, or Korea, I think, then you're, or not Korea, um, China and Japan. Japan. Have, China yeah, thank Japan. you. They've yeah. automatically qualified they're for qual- the semifinal. So they're in the top four, mm-hmm. so they'll move on. But everybody else has to. 
Okay, play. now we're not we're not second guessing the coaching staff, but what is what do we have to do? Uh, again, nicest way I can possibly say this. First of all, it has to be team first mentality. Yep. Uh, decision making, effort levels, ultimate performance. You have to do it for the team first and not yourself, yep. because players can't afford to think about. I want to play a certain way for myself to put myself in the best foot forward for Paris because you won't even get you haven't gotten to Paris yet. No. So you need to make sure you put your team first to get you to Paris first and think about the other stuff later. Mm. I think the other thing that Opals need to do is start using their inside game a lot more. I think against Japan, the, the, it would have been great if they could use their inside game a little bit more. But to be fair, the Japanese defense on the ball handlers was like <laughs> ridiculous. So getting it inside <laughs> was a bit tricky. So I think using their inside game a bit more, so using Scherf, uh, Froling, Garbin uh, a lot more, even Bibby mm. a little bit. I think we have a slight height advantage over Korea going into this game tonight. Um, and also I would love to see the Opals bigs be able to set screens and seal a lot more than what they were doing against Japan. I felt like the when they went to do an on-ball screen, even when they were trying to slip the screen, uh, not a lot, not enough body contact to set a good screen to get the guards open, and then also the guards need to do a better job of getting open themselves on the wing to relieve the pressure from the point guard. Um, because because you know Korea would have watched that game knowing, hey, if we play this yeah. type of defense, we're, yep. we're going to cause chaos. Yeah, yeah, this is how you that, that's their weak side, the Australia's weak side. If you play mm. that defense, absolutely. And yeah. Because looking at the rosters, because, you know, the last time Australia and Korea played each other was at the last Asia Cup um, for the bronze medal with Australia coming away with the win. And I was looking at the rosters and what Korea actually have in their favour is that the majority of their roster here right now in Sydney in 2023 is the same as what they had in 2021. Yep. Whereas the Opals roster, only four players here was the same in 2021. So on paper, maybe our Opals roster is a little bit better. But I think in terms of chemistry um, and playing experience with a core group, maybe Korea have that in their favour. Yeah, I'm going to echo Jacinta um, on all those points, I think. For me, again, being the nicest diplomatic way possible to put it forward is just, you know, really play as a team. So that means if you're a shooter... You know, if you can't take the shot off, it makes sense to pass it to somebody else. Do that, like you said, you're, like just to like you alluded to, you're you're not in Paris yet. Um, this is not about the individual performances. It's about you know getting across the line. Like this is what this tournament's about. Um, so I think that's probably my biggest thing. And then also, yeah, I think the inside game needs to improve a little bit. And hopefully they'll have. I'm no doubt Shannon's a big film guy, so mm-hmm. <laughs> no doubt they were in the. Uh, room breaking everything down. I'm sure. I'm. I expect that we're probably going to see a improvement tonight. Yeah, yeah. And not even just uh, a focus in a sense where they're just getting more touches. Like you know, not putting the pressure on the Scherfs and the Garbins of the world to be prolific right. scorers. Just yep. being a bit more of an option because they can both score. And Scherfs' passing game has just accelerated in the last two years under Coach Patrick at yep. at um Perth. Perth. Um, so just even using her more as a facilitator. Yeah, and I think it was. It seemed to me that once once the Opals came under pressure, there was a bit of disjointedness in the team chemistry, and that's one of the things where they weren't reading each other well. There, it was. It was like from time to time you'd see, yeah, it's it's gelling well, and then you just you could just see they'd get out of step and out of sync with each other. 
they weren't on the same page all the time. It seems like yeah. someone would like press the ball and then they would lose it, or like they would someone or they had it and then they lost it and they would go after it and it's just it was not as smooth probably as what we're used to seeing from no. the Yelpels in the past. No, really not. And the other thing is, and we ju- we just got to talk about the game that preceded it just for a second, the China-Korea game. Oh. Now, to me, that game, apart from the fact that it was like down to the wire and into OT, it showed that China can be beaten. China can be pushed hard. Um, you've just got to really work out. It's, it's almost like China has a few key players and if you can push those few key players really hard, the rest of the team can't really get around to, to fill in the gaps. And it was obvious with Han Zhu because there were, there were times where she just looked like she was running out of puff. And when that, when that was happening and, and Korea was pushing it hard, um, the, rest of the, the rest of the Chinese team were, were struggling a bit. And, you know... That's why we ended up going in an OT. Yeah, it's. I think with China, for some, I mean, yeah, like if you're Australia, or sorry, excuse me, Korea, if you can break them down, um, it's a lot of nuances to doing that. Yeah, like I said, if you if you can get to, if you can really work those key players, like Hanju, I mean, it, they're not invincible. I mean, they're ah. tall and they are tough. That's why I say like they're not an invincible team. Like I would never, I'd say never count yourselves out just because it's China. Mm. Um, if you understand the game plan, you have a. If you have, if you're skilled enough, you can attack it, and you can, you know, potentially. I, I was watching that game on live stats, and um, there's a Twitter buddy of mine back in New Zealand. Shout out Tony O'Connor, who was sending me all these stats, and it was just, you know, neck to neck to neck, and I'm like, I'm sitting on the bus just sweating. Um, but just, I think it just showed, you know, there's a lot of depth on the on the Korean side. Yeah, and I mean they're twelfth in the world for a reason. Mm, it's true. Yeah, depth is a really interesting point, actually, because um, what I actually really love about the FIBA tournament websites is that they have this preview feature yeah. um, on, on their website when it's a head-to-head. So they've, they put their existing tournament statistics head-to-head with the games that are coming up. So teams, um, that, that includes points in the paint, second chance points and points from the bench. So statistically coming into this game, the Opals have a huge advantage for points on the bench, 47 to Korea's 22 on, on average for the tournament so far. And granted that is against, you know, we have had some of our bench players play against like the Philippines and Chinese Taipei. So they probably had a bit more court time mm. versus, you know, when Korea played against China, perhaps some of their bench probably didn't get the same opportunities. But I think that is a massive point um, that hopefully the Opals can exploit. Um, The thing that the Opals will need to be careful of is points from turnovers. Korea is averaging 17 points from turnovers so far this tournament, which is massive. Um, And I know that sometimes our decision-making when it comes to the crunch hasn't been the best in this tournament so far. Um, and I think another thing that will be super important is the rebound count. So on average, um, the Opals are out-rebounding uh, Korea by 12 rebounds per game coming into this game. And however, they're 16 apiece for offensive rebounds. So I imagine that the co- Opals coaching staff are going to be focusing on yeah. that, ensuring yeah. that you limit Korea to one shot per possession and not allowing any opportunity for offensive rebounds. Definitely. Yeah, and that's that's where I think, you know, Shannon should be looking to utilize Maley 
Um, I would let, say we'll probably. I would expect that. to see more of Chantel yeah. and Anale in this matchup. Yeah, let Miley be Miley. Yeah, and I think Miley do Miley things. You know, she's she may not be used to. She's probably not used to coming off the bench. You know, yeah. she's just played three x three, and you know. There's I'm, not really a bench in 3x3. We've seen four her, people. Yeah, we've seen her everywhere. And like she's always been very probably with Bendigo 3x3. She's been very front and center. So to see her, yeah, must be a little bit different. But but I think in a good way too. Yeah. Maybe it takes some pressure off her because the time she's coming yeah. on off the bench, she's been very productive. And like you said, she's Maylie is being Maylie. She's getting on on the scraps. She's making mm. immediate impacts. Well, the thing um, is when she's in there, she's not, she doesn't back down. <laughs> she's relentless. Yeah. I think everybody's seen that. Yeah, like that's did. her brand of basketball. And so, if you, I mean, maybe again, like if Shannon's able to rest her, or just give her a little bit more time to get that energy up, mm. then oh my god, watch out! Like she's gonna, she might have she, to set the tone for the she type might, of the yeah. level of effort and hustle and yeah. and energy that the Opals would need to ensure a win today. Absolutely, yeah. I was I associate energy and focus. With Maylee, like that's, I mean, obviously besides the scoring. Yeah, plus I think she also has has a really positive effect on the rest of the team. Yes, you know when they see, when they see when they see Maylee doing Maylee things, <laughs> right? It, it picks the whole team up, and it's it almost feels like the Opals step up that toughness level. One when they get to see her doing that, I feel like especially now, because um, with good reason, you know, like Kayla George is unable to be here with her WBA commitments. She's always had that intensity. Yeah. So to have someone like Maylee match that energy or at least bring a similar vibe into the squad is going to be huge. And especially for a game like today, it was even at the luncheon yesterday with Tess talking mm. um, and how the camp was feeling after that loss against Japan. You know, it's a new day. It's time to reset. But I think between Tess's leadership and Maylee's energy, you know, they have a, they, they have a window to make a real effort here and make a real difference. Yeah, yeah they do. And I think, you know, we should also talk about that event that we were at yesterday. Yeah. Um, it was the it was the first She Hoops in-person event. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all there. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I found it to be a really amazing event. A lot of really great, great speakers who told, gave us a lot of insight into their basketball journeys with Christy Harrower, um, the the panel that had um, the current team, Shannon, um, Renee, Renee Loz, Loz, and Tess, Tess. and uh, also hearing from hearing from Lauren Jackson about um, the future plans for She Hoops. What did you guys think of that? I thought it was honestly one one of the coolest events I've seen because. <laughs> It was bringing the past and present and future together in the sense of, you know, LJ, who's the Australian goat, I think that's pretty much undisputed. Um, but, you know, you know, but she's also she's present because she's working in the game. But then she's also fostering the you know the future generation of Hoopers. But then we're living in the now with the Asia Cup team and then Shannon seeing what he's doing. I thought it was just really cool because you got and, and then Christy too to see her get emotional with mm. all of her stories and, you know, the reunion that's coming up with those opals. And it was just really cool and really just refreshing. And I think Jackie Dover too, yep. to get that perspective from the referee and hearing about her experiences. And I think what was really empowering for me was during the Q and a session 
when there was a coach who raised her hand and said, just want to say, you know, thank you for what you're doing. She had the question for test plus test's master class that she talked about. And then um, for Jackie, kind of like what coaches to do, just talking about how they're role models. Yep. I think to see that play out and see those girls, like the younger girls there, like that was just, that really hit home for me. So I think that was like to have and the ability that LJ can do that. And, you know, everybody did a great job with it. That's in the backyard and to have an event like this, you know, meshed together. Fantastic. And it's free for everyone. You just yep. had to yeah, register. You just had, it was free, first of all, like the She Hoops program is online. And it was accessible for everyone. So how often do you get the opportunity to go to like a nice like luncheon spread? The and food was good too. Opal's yeah. Legends in the amazing. room. You've got Lauren Jackson in the room. You have access to ask her a question directly. Yep. And She's then, right there. And like it's like, yeah, like you said, just when do you get to do this? Not very often. And even if you just like basketball, like I was actually sitting at our table. There was a fan um, who's a, from Hoops Capital. Um, she has season tickets to the Flames and to the Kings, and she just came as a basketball fan. Mm. And she's, you know, she was just soaking it all in. I mean, it was just good for everybody. I think. Yeah, it's it's great having having giving fans the opportunity to come to things like that. And look, for me, the I think probably the most special thing. It had nothing to do with the panels. Had nothing to do with the speakers. There was that that girl who would come up because. There was a lot of emotion on that on the panel, yeah. And when it all got too much, this this girl would get up and bring the tissues to, to whoever whoever was tearing up. And you know, if you if you stop and you think about that, I don't think I've ever seen the opportunity for for something like that to occur in any sort of event. Normally, you know, somebody would be approaching the the panel, and security would be crash tackling people. And to put it into context for listeners, the two emotional kind of points of the day yesterday Paul's referring to, the first being Christy Harrower was reflecting on her time as the Gems because it's 30, the 30th 30 anniversary this year that the Gems won the gold medal, which was the first time an Australian team has won an international gold medal. Mm. Um, so that was the first point. And I really admire Christy for having the bravery and strength to be so vulnerable in a forum full of people when she was talking reflecting on her time with the gems and comparing it with her time of the opals as a player and now definitely brought up a lot of emotions and it was great she just openly cried in front of people and she owned it and I think even in that sense whether it's your basketball idol or not just to have like an important female in a sport uh be comfortable doing that in a in a room full of strangers where there are kids I think that's a very important lesson for yeah. kids to see about it's okay to be to have those emotions and to show those emotions in front of people uh then the other in, the other emotional point yesterday was when Tess Magin I guess kind of launched uh the t-shirts that they'll be yeah. wearing yeah. around the grounds yeah. for the rest of the tournament to support Tiana Munga Kahia's um breast cancer recovery mm. and we've put up a couple of links on Twitter for those yes. listening for where you can buy the t-shirts as well yep. and head to Tess Magin's Instagram account where you can see the pictures of the t-shirt I think Darcy Garvin has posted too yep. and they're thankfully going to be available for fans to buy as well and oil proceeds are going to go towards Tiana's recovery yeah, it was, um, I mean, I was in, thought about moving that little girl down yesterday for tissues for me just because I think the way that Tess did that in a very test magazine way was just not flashy. But, I mean, it's by the players, for Tiana, for that cause. And I think to do it in a setting like that, and again, I think just at that point, 
there was no no way you can't tear up or get emotional there. Um, I think that was a special setting to do that. And just to see everybody who's, you know, the Hoops Capital family who was also there, it was just, it was really nice to see the support yeah. and everybody come out. And I love that they're doing the t-shirts for tea. I know I'm going to certainly buy one. I know a couple of other people who I've talked to, they're going to buy one. Um, actually saw them. My friend and I were in the team hotel yesterday having dinner and uh, we saw the pink shirts and that. So I think the group photo that you saw on Instagram on Tessa's Instagram account, mm-hmm. probably Darcy's was um, that photo. And they are certainly rallying around that, you know, Tiana and her family. And um, it, it's great to see it's, heartbreaking situation but the it's a real family that's coming together yeah it is and i gotta say um i know when when i first read that that announcement by t that she was retiring and the reason why considering we'd spoken to her and vanessa not that much really wasn't that long ago it wasn't it it was only like a couple months ago wasn't it eh? yeah it was like it, it really was a punch the guts I started crying. Like I was on a bus and I started just bawling because I was like, "No, please don't tell me what I think it is." Yeah, like, it was it completely out of the blue. Um, mm. You know, in the context of I only just have spoken to them. We, yep. The Hoops Capital had the pink round, and in the context of Tiana was getting back to her best form. She, she was, was in France she, too. She was in France, France. playing in Toulouse. Uh, yep. You know, I would. I had already started to stir the pot online and do hashtag Tiana for Paris 2024. Like yep. I, she was a legitimate contender for that squad, and she's supposed to be playing here today. I she was supposed to be on this team too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in, with all of that in the context, hearing that news was even more devastating. I just can't believe it, and she's such a such a young lady to be having to endure something this horrible. I never wish it on anyone, but her energy and just the infectiousness for life, like. I mean, to see her, you know, and she's, I'd say, like, after following her for a while, like, just the strongest person I've ever seen. Yeah. And if anyone's going to fight this as hard as they should, it's going to be T. Like, there's no doubt about that. It's a great example of the Opals, you know, have, um, it it started with the Opals and the likes of the Christy Harrower era, the Shelley Sandy Michelle Tims era of this sisterhood and having those seven non-negotiables to set the yep. Opal's culture. And then that has re-emerged again, heading into the last, into the FIBA World Cup after the mids um, dramas around Tokyo. Uh, but to see that it's actually been implemented into something off court, I think is really important because it's very easy for a team to go online and say, yep. oh yeah, hashtag sisterhood, look at all these photos. But then to actually implement it into something like this that's off court for a teammate I think um, speaks volumes of to what the Opal Sisterhood actually means and how powerful They've it can be. They've done a really good job of, um, I think, not like you know, like you just said, just such a, not just talking and talk, but walking the walk. And mm. um, even from what Kayla, I heard from the conversation that you guys had with Kayla a couple of years ago, post Tokyo, um, how painful that was just for the Opal's culture and everything you know that happened. But to see, I know Tessa's been a big part of turning it around everybody is um but for them to really come out i mean it's a statement and i feel like sandy and shannon and all the coaching staff has been really good about supporting them as they make that and know to see it here at home um and obviously lj is just fantastic yeah and you could also see it um in we had a we managed to have a short conversation with with kayla just earlier in the week 
where, you know, you could tell she was emotional that she couldn't be here. And when you see yeah. that, when you, you see that kind of emotional connection across the team, you know there's, a, there's good culture being built there. Um, and it, it's, it's a good story and it, it bodes well for the Opals going forward as well. Absolutely. I think there's nothing but up for them coming, moving forward. Okay, guys, it's been great. Um, it's always great doing these live, these live pods. Um, thanks so much for, for being here, for joining us on the, on the pod and looking forward to tonight's game. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers and toes and organs crossed for the Opals. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.